0: This morning, I really do want to talk to you about the primacy of scripture, how important it is for you to be able to be in the word on a regular basis. If I I bring these kind of ideas to you initially, I want you to kind of think through them as we begin to talk. What drives your decisions? What stands behind what you do? What influences your actions or your behavior? Maybe simply I'll put it to you this way. Why do you do what you do? Lord, would you help us to be shaped by your word? May we see such a primacy in what is there, that your truth becomes our truth. And we become shaped into your image. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So, what what drives your decisions? And decisions that we make on a regular basis. uh, If I break them into three categories, let's just try to do that. The practical decisions. Those decisions on where you will work. What you will buy. Where you will live. Where you're going to shop. The basic decisions that you make on a regular basis, what drives those decisions? What what sets them up and and brings them into play? The practical, everyday decisions. How about the relational decisions? Those people that you're going to date. The person that you're going to marry. The people that you're going to spend time with. may even ask the question, those people that you're planning on serving. How do you make those decisions? What stands behind them? And of course we often compartmentalize things. We have practical decisions. We have relational decisions. And then we have spiritual decisions. How do you make those? And how about if I begin with the presupposition? Everything is spiritual. Every practical decision you make has spiritual implications. Every relational decision you make has spiritual decisions. Everything that you do from the very first breath you take in the morning to the last thoughts you have as you lay down your head at night has spiritual implications. So the place where you work is not disconnected from what takes place in Moncton Wesleyan Church and in your life. The people that you choose to to marry, to relate to, to serve, it is a deeply spiritual decision. How do you make There seems to be two ways of going about that. Number one, those things that you kind of ponder and and, uh, be perplexed over. They're very thoughtful, slow-moving that you spend a lot of time thinking about and planning for. Then again, there are those decisions that are quickly made, often more of an emotional response. One comes out of what you're thinking. The other comes out of the wellspring of your heart. You know what I mean when you... Well, let me give you an example. Every once in a while, I like to put a good example of myself self So this is about the only good example I can come up with. It wasn't too long ago that uh, I was in bed sleeping. I mean, deeply sleeping. I was enjoying my sleep so much that I was snoring at the same time. And my wife Angie, lovingly, knocked me and said, stop snoring. And she told me, I don't even remember this, she told me I woke up, apologized to her, and went back to sleep. Isn't that great? I mean, it tells me what's inside of me is an obedient husband. (laughs) You never know that until it happens, right? Now, I could bring up about 50 or 100 bad examples. But there are the things you think about and do because they're planned. And they are those, those those things that just come out of you. Like when somebody cuts you off on your driving. What is your first thought? Is it a prayer? Lord, forgive my enemy. <laughs> forgive them. Is that the first thought? Or is there something else that might fly out of you? A thought? A word? A gesture? One is those thoughtful things that you have a bit of control over, and those things that are emotional responses that just come quickly when you have no preparation for it. One is the wellspring of your heart, the other is the things that you're thinking and doing. My question is how do you go about making these decisions and how is it that your heart is transformed so the things that come out of you actually are Jesus' responses and not your human ones? Do you understand what I'm, what I'm trying to get to? What influences the way you think? What influences the way you act? This one we can often control well. This one really dominates who we are. And the world will see us as we act. So this morning, I want to take some time and process some scripture with you to help on this. Excuse me for that. apologize. If I was going to try to define what I'm looking at, number one, what are the values that we create that arise out of scripture? The values that help us make decisions in advance. And then what is the character of our heart? Values are what we use to make decisions. The character of our heart is what dominates the action that will flow from us. Values and character. And if there would be a descriptive way that I would try to talk about it. We have one of two ways of doing this. Number one, following the script of culture or the scripture of of the kingdom, the script of culture. Most of us are so much a part of culture we can't even describe It is the air that we breathe. It's just who we are. You may not know it, but I'm from away. You can probably tell a bit from my accent. Angie and I have been here about four years. And when we first got here, we didn't see a lot of difference in culture. Other than the difference between I like American football and you like hockey. But besides that, there's just not a lot. Few things in terms of food and diet. A little bit in terms of language. But culture is who we are. It's the decisions that are already made in advance. It's the very nature in which we live. And we often don't even recognize how powerful it is of an influence in our life. All you have to do is just turn on TV and begin to watch it. And realize that as you're watching TV on a regular basis, there is a clash of culture, isn't there? There's a clash of culture of the script of this world and a clash of culture with the scripture of the kingdom. You can't watch TV very long. You can't read newspaper very long. You can't go out to the shopping malls very long. Angie and I came up here last weekend. Um, we, uh, I, I needed I desperately needed a piece of chocolate cake with boiled icing that we got at Salisbury. I, I, I had to have it. Uh, I know that was a classic culture. It, it had to take place. And then afterwards, we came to the, to the shopping mall. We were walking around, trying to work off the calories from what we ate. Apologi- I'm apologizing in advance as I say this. But as I walked through the mall, I saw so many pictures of women half-dressed as I was walking past all of the shops. They were beckoning me not to come in. They were just beckoning my attention calling me to, look here, this is the demonstration of our culture's view of beauty. And I told Angie the number of times we walked by, and she would just say to me, just look at me, just look at me. That was her way of saying, don't look to the left. She was calling me back to the scripture of the kingdom, and the script of our culture was calling me away. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? I think it's important at times for me to be able to realize what's going on in culture. So a couple of weekends ago, on a Sunday night, the Grammy Awards were on. I don't know if any of you watched it, but Angie and I watched about the first 15 minutes of it. And in the first 15 minutes, there was such an incredible clash of culture. It began with a female singer named Beyonce. Beautiful woman began the whole ceremony by being three-quarters naked and dancing very provocatively as she was singing. And then her husband came out and sang with her a duet. He was fully dressed in 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 a tuxedo, and she was there in her underwear. It's so devalued, every single woman on the face of this earth, that you ladies are just simply Things to entertain a man. And millions upon millions of people watch that. Now I'm not here talking like a prude. I'm talking like saying there is a there is a script in the culture that is beckoning you away from scripture. Think differently, think like the world, become like us, do not allow scripture. And the kingdom to influence your thoughts. So how do you make decisions when every single day the world is calling you like the sirens were calling uh, Odysseus as he was going out on his odyssey? Come to me. Be like me. Versus be like him. And my prayers for this church. For you as leaders in this church. Because only leaders would come out on a day like today. That you would so infuse your life with scripture. That for the next 40 days you will read the text. And find the God of the text. Behind the text. And be wonderfully transformed. And be on a regular basis. Your decisions will flow directly from the values of the kingdom. And not from the values of our culture. How about if we begin with a passage in Luke's Gospel? Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 9. We have the, yep, if you click to the, William, if you click to the, the next section, this is uh, Luke chapter 9. Um, Luke, Acts will be the first books that you read while you are going through this journey in the Word. This is a very familiar series of passages that we'll read. Very familiar. But what I want you to do is to see where the culture arises out of this. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Once, when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? Some replied, John. Others, Elijah. Through others, one of the prophets of long ago that has come back to life. Jesus is asking a very, very profound question. He's asking a cultural question. What is the culture of the day? Who do they say that I am? Jesus is asking the disciples to put their pulse on the people of Galilee and ask, who is the Messiah? Taking a poll. Who do they say? This is not a guessing game. It is very serious for us to know what the culture says about Christ. Any good pastor, any good layperson, must be able to study and understand the culture. So Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Amazingly, in a passage right before this, we find that somebody else has been pondering about Jesus. Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, verse 7, listen to these words. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that he was John that had been raised from the dead. Others, Elijah had appeared, and still others, one of the prophets of long ago that had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. The very words... The very words that the disciples reported to Jesus about who he was had been heard earlier. Herod himself was saying these things. Culture is saying John the Baptist. Culture is saying Elijah. Culture is saying one of the prophets. So Who do your friends say Jesus is? Who do the people that you go to school with? Who do the people that you work with? Who do your family say that he is? Up until very recently, I'm the only Christian in my family. So Thanksgiving dinners are really odd. Especially because I have a practicing Hindu for a sister. So we have really interesting conversations. Before my mom passed away, I had a lot of conversations with her about my sister and our interactions. And my my mother went to talk to my sister about it, and she came back and she goes, David, don't worry about it, because she's a Christian Hindu. That is an oxymoron. There is no such thing as that. But see, my mom, my mom wanted to keep the peace. The truth, scripture, was not as important as keeping the peace in the family. So the truth never came out. My family was run by culture, by the script of culture. We want everybody happy except for the Lord. Do you live in a family like that? Do you work in a place like that? Do you go to school with people like that? Keep the peace and practice culture rather than practicing the kingdom. The disciples, their poll sounded just like Harry, just like the institutional leaders. And so there are areas of conversations you can't have simply because the culture is honored. What is politically correct rules the day. The kingdom and kingdom principles do not. That's where I come from. That's where I live. In chapter 9, verse 20... hear a different question being asked. But what about you? He asked. Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered. God's Messiah. That's a great truth. And it is absolutely true. He is God's Messiah. But there is something different about the way that word is being used. Because Peter has a very clear cultural understanding of what the term Messiah is. The Messiah is the anointed one of God. The Messiah is always known to be a human being. Not Lord, human being. And he will come to set Israel free from Rome, Roman oppression. The throne of David will be reestablished in Jerusalem. And the reign will come from Jerusalem. That is what Peter is saying. I have watched you all along for the last year and a half, Jesus. You have healed the sick. You have raised the dead. You have fed 4,000. You have fed 5,000. When anybody had a need, you met it. You even stood on the bow of a boat, said two words, peace be still, and the winds and the waves ceased. Everything that is possible, you can do. You are the Messiah who will set us free from this pagan culture. That's what Peter was saying. So he was right, but he was also wrong. Let's talk about the wrongness of that and how you can actually be right in one way and wrong in another. I would love to take this passage now back if I can and to use a parallel passage from Luke, and go back to Mark's gospel. In Mark, chapter 8, verse 31, we find these words. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again, He spoke clearly, plainly about this. Peter was convinced that Jesus was going to be the political slash religious hero to set all of Israel free. And Jesus just trumped that. By saying, the Son of Man has now come to die. Listen very carefully. Peter then rebuked Jesus. Do you hear culture? Trumping scripture? Can you hear that? Peter says, I do not like your agenda, Lord. I like mine. As a matter of fact, I like... Script of culture versus scripture of the kingdom. Now, I don't know about you. I never, never do that intentionally. But if you're not bathed in the word and know what the mission of God is in the world, you can easily fall back on culture and not realize it that you're actually being disobedient Jesus then turned and looked at the disciples and rebuked Peter. There are some times, there are some times we just simply need a rebuke from the Lord. That our minds are on the wrong thing. We're we're going in the wrong direction. We're, We're thinking the wrong things. Our priorities are skewed. Our values are set by the world rather than the word. And this is that juncture. Here is a man, Peter, who has been with Jesus already a year and a half. Spent a year and a half on a pilgrimage with Jesus. And still has not figured out who he is yet. And Jesus takes him aside. Looks at all of the disciples. And then says to Peter. Get behind me. These are the most frightening words in all of scripture. Get behind me, Satan. Because you do not have in mind the things of God. You're not thinking like the Word. You're not thinking like Scripture. Rather, you are thinking like men. You're thinking like humans. You don't have in mind the Word. You have in mind the world. You don't have in mind suffering. You have in mind comfort. You don't have in mind my agenda the cross. Instead, you have a throne. Stop thinking like the script of culture and start thinking like the scripture of the kingdom. How do we do that? By bathing ourselves in the word on a regular basis. By being consumed by the word. Almost using it in a sacramental way. Most of you would probably not like being in any of my classes that I teach at Kingswood University. Students come into my class and I hand them the syllabus. The very first assignment, if we were actually studying the book of Luke, here would be my first assignment. I want you to go back to your room and read the entire book of Luke in one sitting. What? The whole thing? Yeah, it'll take you about two hours, two and a half maybe. It's kind of like watching a hockey game with the (laughs) hockey game off same amount of time but instead of instead of placing your agenda in the script of culture you decide to make a priority of the scripture of the king and for the next 40 days that's what your pastoral staff is asking you to do to bathe yourself in scripture, And ask the question, what what difference will that make? Will your heart beat at a different pace? Will, Will your mind think differently? Will you begin waving at people when they cut you off in traffic? I mean, with all your hands. That would be my prayer. My prayer is that when we get to Easter, on Easter Sunday, the resurrection has fully made itself manifest in your life. It may be at work, at school, bees, Someone might actually mistake you for Jesus. And that your life would be so glorifying to the kingdom, somebody might say, please explain to me why, why you did that. Because it doesn't make sense in my worldly thinking. And you will have to take them by hand from thinking like humans to thinking like God. When Angie and I were pastoring in Cleveland, uh, it was a small church. You are about the size of the church I pastored in Cleveland. Um, We didn't have very much money. And Angie was wanting to help buy a car that we desperately needed. So she went to work. Angie uh, went to work at an outdoor store. It was a beautiful uh, gift that she gave to our family. And at the outdoor store, there was an African American, a a young black man who was there. And when they hired a middle-aged white woman, he was very upset. Because he had some friends that he thought ought to get the job above her. She really didn't need the job. She had a husband that could take care of her. He was angry and bitter. And she is really a very nice woman. You get to know her. She'll bake you cookies. She, will, she has a Kleenex ministry, which is uh, when she sees somebody in the congregation crying... Uh, Pastor Don, if you were preaching, she would actually get up in the middle of service, ignore you, and go take the handkerchief back there and hug the person. I don't know why this young man didn't like her, other than the fact that she was white and he was black. This went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And she came home every single day uh, broken, because he was looking at her in such a human way. She wanted him to see Jesus, and he never did. And she would try to be nice, and it didn't work. And she was getting fr- frustrated. Have you been there? Lived there? We had a ministry at our church, where so we were trying to get involved with the homeless those people that were destitute and one of the least and the last and the lost. And so we used to go once once a month into downtown Cleveland to begin to minister at the the, uh, shelters down there. One day, one Sunday, amazingly, several of the men from the shelter came to the church because we were telling them about Jesus. And they showed up at the church But one man in particular, it was clear he had not eaten in a long time. And so I was getting ready to preach. I was up on the platform, and uh, 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 the leaders of the church came up and kind of whispered to me, there's a man in the back of the church who is uh, obviously destitute and hungry. What should we do? Well, that's kind of a no-brainer. Feed him. Go out to McDonald's and bring food back and feed him. So they did. Twice. He ate everything they brought. Twice. At the end of the service, we realized he was out in the middle of the winter. Can you imagine being in weather like this, with no good coat and no good boots? And they said, Pastor, what should we do? Um, a- Angie is rarely assertive in that kind of setting. But she said, I know exactly what to do. Here's a man that needs a coat and needs boots. And I work at a place that sells coats and boots. Let's take him from church to where I work and buy him a coat and boots. And on that day, it just so happened that this man that she was working with that didn't like her happened to be there. And Angie took this Very cold, filthy black man into the store, sat him down. Now, you need to get this picture. Got down at his feet and began to take off boots that had not been removed from his feet for literally months. The boot came off. The socks were just melted onto his feet that she had to actually pull off toenails that were far too long and she got out a rag and began to wipe his feet and this whole time this other man that hated her was watching Can, can you get the picture John chapter 13 when Jesus was about to explain to them and show to them the full extent of his love took off his outer garments, put on a towel, and began to wash their feet. Unbeknownst to Angie, he was watching. She cleaned his feet, put new socks on, brand new pair of boots, and a coat. And we took him back to where he was was staying at the shelter. And the next day, when Angie went in to work, guess what? The very first question was Why did you do what you did? He was homeless. He was of no value. Why did you value him? I would not have done that, he said. And you did. And she began to explain to him the values and the principles of the kingdom. He'd heard that before, but he'd never witnessed it firsthand. He and Angie became the best of friends. Now, he was probably uh, 15 years younger than Angie. and He came to her a number of times talking about a young girl that he was thinking about marrying. And I could take you to the day when we answered our front door and the two of them were there together and he walked over to Angie, walked right past me, walked over to Angie and said, I just need to tell you, you're the first person we've ever told. We've decided to get married. My friends, can I make you a promise? If you begin to bathe yourselves in Scripture, so it becomes a part of who you are, it becomes the fabric of your soul, it becomes life-transforming. If you do that, not only will you move from being a purveyor of the script of culture to the scripture of the kingdom, but I promise you God will enable you to move people from the script of culture to the scripture of the Kingdom. The greatest evangelism tool you can have is to become like Jesus. Because you will attract people in a way that nothing else will. I'm not asking you to learn the four spiritual laws. I'm asking you to look like Jesus, to look like light, to taste like salt. And you will attract people over in such a way that on the snowiest day, this place will be packed. Because people will want what you have. This morning. What am I asking you to do? How about if I talk as if there are three different sets of people in the room? Now, it may not be true, but let me talk as if there are three different sets of people. First of all, when it comes to the values of the kingdom, there may be those people here this morning that are curious. You really haven't spent any time It's been a a book that's been on a table in your house, or maybe on a shelf, but you haven't spent very much time in there. Can I encourage you to just simply be curious and read? No commitment. Just read. And imagine what it would be like if you actually practiced those principles in your life, in your home in your workplace in your marriage, in your relationships in your decisions, just imagine no commitment necessary would you, would you please just read and take a journey with Jesus from here to the cross and the resurrection of Easter so first, to those people that are curious just read secondly I know that there's, this is probably the group that I would call the converted. You know Jesus. He's vital and important life. But very often, converted people actually kind of live in two worlds. They live in the world of the script, of peer pressure, of families, workplace and then Sunday church community. Here's what I'm asking for you to do. For the next 40 days I'm asking you to read the scripture and actually be committed to what it says. For 40 days trial. If Jesus says this and you'll get to this place in Matthew's Gospel chapter 7 when it says, if you bring a gift into the altar and you are worshiping, and you realize you have a disagreement with a brother or sister, leave the gift and go be reconciled. Would it be too much to ask if you find yourself in the midst of what you would call the converted, would you commit to actually living the scriptures for 40 days? What would your life be like if every time you read a scripture, you actually leaned into it? You made it a part of your lifeblood. Now, I promise you something that will be intimidating. That you actually read it instead of saying, well, that was a nice thing back then. I want you to bring the practices to today to forgive your enemies, to love your neighbors, to wash feet to give alms to the poor, to practice love. Do that if you could. And finally, finally, to the group that I would call the called. (coughs) First there's the curious, and all I want you to do is read and imagine what your life would be like if you actually followed the principles of the kingdom and not the script of culture. Then to the converted, what I want you to do is to read and sacrificially put it into practice. Find additional time throughout the day. Would it be too much to ask is to say, you know what, for those 40 days, no Facebook. Instead of Facebook, instead of Twitter, instead of TV, I'm going to read and put it into practice. But there's another group, and let's name you the called. I believe that there are people here that God wants to call out into full-time ministry. I believe there are people here that as you read the scriptures, they will come alive. You've heard the heartbeat of Christ, and you know that you are his, and you will go and do whatever he says. When I say called, I don't necessarily mean called to ministry and begin to fill this pew up here. That could be. What I mean is that you will so fully dedicate your life to the work of Christ. That it will be your sole passion. So what would I like for you to do? Here's what I want you to do, and I want it to begin right now. For you to make a pledge to say yes right now. When I say yes, I mean to say yes right now. So this month, when you read, you've already committed to do what you find in scriptures. That's scary. To say, yes, I will make a covenant with you that whatever you say, I'm not going to hesitate, I will do it. That is a person of the call. that actually writes, signs your name on the bottom of the agreement. Give it back to Christ and say, Christ, whatever you want, I promise to do it. Listen to the first passage of scripture I ever memorized in my life. And many of you probably already have it memorized. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, when I received the Bible, when I first became a Christian 33 years ago, the only Bible that was really in existence then was the King James. So this I have memorized in the King James. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to make your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is a reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Hear that? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen carefully. Then you will know the perfect will of God. If you want to know the will of God for your life, say yes in advance, and you will be placing yourself into the kingdom of the call. I believe this morning that you were the audience that I was supposed to be speaking to. There may be hundreds, I dare say thousands, that could have been here. But for those words that I just said to you, it is you that God wanted here. That He wants to move you from the seat of the committed, of the converted, to the called your life passion is always to say yes to God before you even know what he's asked. Because he is good and he is loving and he is merciful. You know that. Could you make the pledge now, as I read the scriptures for the next 40 days, without hesitation, Lord, I will say yes. I'm not saying you have to like it. I'm just asking you, would you please say yes in advance and watch what will happen in your life, in your family, in your workplace, and in your community. I dare say that if we become kingdom-minded people that are fully devoted to Scripture, watch out, monkey, because Christ is coming, and he's coming in me, and he's coming in you. Lesson: be the word.